The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast starting at the very first episode of Monday Nitro and taking in every episode of Nitro, Thunder, Clash of the Champions, Pay-Per-View, etc, etc, right through to the company's demise in 2001. And today is Pay-Per-View Day. Bloody love a pay-per-view day. We have hit the Great American Bash of 1996. And joining me to cover this this very, very good show, I suppose, without giving away too many spoilers early on, I guess, on a show that's over 20 years old. Uh, joining me, as always, is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, my friend? I'm doing really well, thank you, sir. How's yourself? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Looking forward to diving in to this pay-per-view. Uh, I mean, things are really starting to snowball now, aren't they? The last two Nitros we covered were, were great television. This pay-per-view has, has got a lot of drama in it as well. Things are really starting to take off, aren't they? They really are, mate. I mean, it's just been a roller coaster. Indeed it has. Indeed it has. Uh, so then, today's episode of Nitro Nights, as I mentioned, is covering the Great American Bash of 1996, uh, broadcast on pay-per-view on the 16th of June 1996 from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it received 170,000 pay-per-view buys. To give you a bit of context with regards to the amount of pay-per-view buys this show received, the year before for 1995's Great American Bash pay-per-view was a much lower number at roughly 95,000 buys. The following year, in 1997, however, it was up to 290,000 buys. So 170,000 here is is pretty good a pretty good number in comparison to the previous year but next year it really kicks off also a little bit more context for you seven days after this event the wwf promoted king of the ring 96 headlined by Shawn michaels versus the british bulldog and of course we know steve austin will go on and make his famous austin 316 speech on that event that pay-per-view seven days later received 197,000 buys so we're roughly 30,000 boys lower than the WWF event of the same month, Danny. But very much all the numbers seem to be heading in the right direction, don't they? They definitely do, mate. It's all going up. And, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, that was the, uh, that's the pay-per-view where Stone Cold Steve Austin becomes Stone Cold, isn't it? Well, in theory. In theory, he cuts <laughs> yeah. that he cuts that promo, but it takes a lot longer than the WWF would have you believe if you go back and uh, listen to their revisionist history. As you're fully aware from when you used to record with Magsy, Ori, and Tanner and do the fantastic uh, A Change in Attitude podcast looking at WWF Attitude Era show by show, which is a show I, I really miss, to be honest, mate. Yeah, me too. Hopefully one day we'll get it back. Yeah, that'd be good. I'll tell you what, I know a network that'll carry it for you if you're ever interested. <laughs> but there we go. We'll get on to that another day. We'll get on to that another day. <laughs> get stopping, mate. 
Uh, the pay-per-view begins with quite a cheesy intro, some very cheesy mid-90s music and graphics. And we have some, what I think is, what, what looks a little bit dated in a way, with guys just cutting promos to the camera to begin the show. Uh, how did you find this, this intro, Danny? How did, you, how did this come across to you? I got immediate Saturday night's main event vibes from, uh, you put it greatly, it's very cheesy, very 90s or 80s. Um, yeah, it just reminded me of Saturday night's main event. Ah, okay. Interesting. It it does really have that mid, I mean, obviously it, it will do because it is 1996, of course, but it does really have that mid 90s kind of feel to it, doesn't it? Mm, it does, mate, but it's it's timeless as well yeah exactly exactly uh we also are informed by our commentary team of dusty Rhodes and tony Schiavone that that week or well literally the day before the pay-per-view aired uh the passing of dick murdoch occurred at the very young age of just 49 so he's uh no longer with us by the time this pay-per-view airs and dusty worked a great deal with dick murdoch back in the territory days so it's somebody who he was quite close to but they kind of skirt over that relatively quickly and just get into the action then danny don't they yeah i found that a bit odd but um especially being the day before maybe dusty Rhodes just didn't want to appear emotional and just wanted to get on with his job and was he kind of no sold it and was like yeah he'd be he would love this pay-per-view so they just went off to the races yeah dick murdoch was also uh i'll, I'll wear this very tactfully also a bit of a controversial figure away from the ring which we'll get into on another occasion so maybe they didn't want to sort of uh talk about him too much with regards to some of his away from the ring activities shall we say but the opener for the great american bash in 1996 sees a tag match that has been pushed you know relatively heavily over the last couple of episodes of nitro we see the steiner brothers and they are taking on the team of fire and ice and this is just a combination of four massive blokes beating the piss out of each other danny isn't it it is, yeah, it certainly is. Um, I love the fact that this has been uh, given quite a bit of television time headed into the pay per view. Um, we take, we can take Fire and Ice as serious tag team wrestlers rather than jobbers now because they've had important matches. Um, yeah, I was, really enjoyed this match. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. I mean, a few, a few wobbly moments, shall we say? Uh, we get a exploder suplex by Scott Steiner on. Uh, scott norton and he damn near drops him on his head he's very lucky norton i think to have not been seriously injured there we also have the finish itself is a frankensteiner that norton messes up the timing on quite a bit and it looked freaking terrible danny didn't it oh that looked very lethal um i was thinking you're saying scott Norton messed that up um i was thinking was this the era where scott steiner stopped using it the frankensteiner I'm, I don't think so. I think it does carry on for a little while longer. Uh, ah. I mean, again, I, I, I've never been in the ring. I'm very much outside looking in is the term I use quite often. So in theory, I've got no real no real position or right to judge these guys on their in-ring ability. However, because we're recording a podcast talking about it and so on, I feel I need to sort of pass my own opinions from my very limited knowledge. It looked to me like Norton just didn't jump into the flip to complete the move it just kind of looked like Steiner yeah. went up and norton didn't quite get his timing right or complete his half of the move so it ended up just looking looking a bit like shit to be fair yeah but the steiners picked up the win 
and we do yeah. get some we do get some good moves here we do get some get some good action a lot of powerful clotheslines big power bombs splash combination from fire and ice uh we get the top rope bulldog that the steiners use as well uh it's a good opener for me the crowd are into it and then i mean the steiners were always incredibly popular and it just seems you know a, a great way to open the show for me yeah definitely mate i really enjoyed it Next up, we have our first title match of the evening. It's for the United States title, held by Conan, and he is defending against El Gato, Danny. Do you know who El Gato is? We spoke about him last week on the show. No, I didn't, but I, I will say um, I was very impressed with him in this outing. Okay, this is Pat Tanaka in a shit mask. <laughs> basically, the guy who was one half of the Orient Express in the early 90s with the WWF. Uh I'm I'm not massively impressed with this match. I'm not going to lie. I felt that uh, Conan for me is a funny one. Conan either seems to be absolutely brilliant when we see him or it just doesn't quite work. Whether there's a timing issue or the styles don't quite sync up, I'm not 100% sure. This match to me falls into the category of it being a bit clunky. And the style's not quite sinking properly, maybe. I mean, there's still enough there for me to enjoy, don't get me wrong. But I think El Gato at this point, or Pat Tanaka at this point, is not necessarily in the greatest of physical condition compared to how we saw him in the WWF. Conan is insistent on doing what Conan wants to do, regardless of what maybe the match is calling for. At one point, we do get somebody trying to start a boring chant during the match, which I felt was a little bit harsh. It wasn't It wasn't that bad. But I suppose for me as well, it doesn't help in that why would anyone, why would anyone be that bothered about El Gato? It's yeah. somebody that we've not seen before. It's somebody that we've, you know, we've had mentioned maybe once on Nitro. I think he wrestled on a Saturday night or a main event or something on the weekend. The commentators mentioned. But why would anyone be you know why would anyone care and again it comes back to something i say on the show quite often give me a reason to invest give me a reason to care about what you're putting on my television and i it never felt like conan was going to drop the title here to el gato we didn't know anything about el gato so why would we care danny i guess I guess they could have just um, had like a couple of, um, I mean, we all we had to lead up of this match was a Conan promo uh, on the previous Nitro, on the Go Home Nitro. So, yeah, they could have done something where they could have had um, a little video package for El Gato. But the interesting thing I found out about this match, um, according to Dusty Rhodes, El Gato is Spanish for cat. That is true. That is true. It is, <laughs> yes. But it doesn't look very much like a cat. No, <laughs> it it looks like it looks like when you go online and you look up, say, it looks like Patanaka wanted to order himself a tiger mask. You know, the rest of the, the rest of the tiger mask. He wanted to order himself one of the, the yeah. tiger mask replica ma- masks. Looked at the price and thought, "Oh, that's a bit expensive," and just got a knockoff version instead. So yeah. rather rather than getting a, a good looking replica tiger mask, he's got this kind of crappy cat thing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it definitely didn't look like a cat but no, yeah it wasn't a, a good look a decent outing yeah it was okay it was okay uh i think it would have potentially benefited from mike Tanay being on commentary and this is yeah. something that i feel that uh, it's difficult for me to put into words is i feel that the commentary on this pay-per-view 
isn't as good as it potentially could have been. I mean, Tony Schiavone is is there calling the play by play, and I, I like Tony Schiavone. He he's good at what he does. Dusty Rhodes is is just Dusty. I love Dusty. He's comedy gold and so on. But I almost felt uh, when we've had a pay per view in the past, we've had Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, and Bobby Heenan, and the back and forth between Heenan and Dusty Rhodes has been absolute gold. It's been fantastic comedy, and. Rhodes seems to almost rise to the occasion, rise to the challenge of having Heenan there pushing his buttons, so to speak. Here, I feel that, yes, okay, they did a good enough job. They provided their commentary. Tony Schiavone is a very familiar voice. Dusty is obviously a legend in the business. But there are moments where it just didn't quite do what it needed to do. And this match is one of them. There's plenty of submission holds in this match, coming from Conan especially, that Dusty and Tony don't call. There's even one they joke about saying they don't know the name of it. And Dusty says, well, I never used a submission hold in, in my career, so why would I know? And whereas that was amusing to me, I'm thinking your job is kind of now to call the action. So I think mm. this might have benefited from Mike Tanay potentially. Yeah, I can see that point, mate. It's, it's just um, I did not make a note of that. It was like the whole night... Um, Tony and Dusty were kind of cracking jokes and things, um, but there was one point it really it really grinded my gears in an important match. But we'll get down to it. Yeah, okay, no problem. I mean, again, I've got no issues with it. it it's, it's it's quite a small little nitpick of mine, but I noticed yeah. it very much in this match because there are certain moves that I think Mike Tanay would have jumped in straight away and started calling and giving you a bit of history about. And yeah. I mean, we see it in a in a match later on between Mysterio and and Dean Malenko. Mike Tanay is there on commentary for that one, and he fills in a lot of the gaps that Dusty and Tony kind of leave in this one, I feel. Yeah, I get you, mate. Okay. Ultimately, Conan retains his championship, which just comes to no surprise to anybody, with, I suppose, a, a, a kind of Alabama slam. Yeah, that's Hardcore Holly-esque. Yeah, yeah Alaba- inverted Alabama slam, and then roll-up, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and he sort of cradles him and so on. And yeah, and he retains his championship. I suppose it's Conan's on the pay per view. He's defended his title again. I don't quite get why we're bringing in people like Pat Tanaka, sticking them under a mask, calling them by a different name when you've got quite a big roster there already. Could you not find something for Conan to do, maybe, Danny? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, that's just, I mean, you've got Eddie Guerrero on the uh, roster. You've got numerous other cruiserweights but it does seem like it's early days um or uh, even for the mid cards championships like the u.s title you've got um a load of wrestlers that could have filled that spot but somehow um tanaka got the nod mm. yeah okay uh following this we're with mean gene oakland now i i, I always try and think about when these programs aired and place yourself in that time and 1996 was a slightly different time however this hasn't aged well at all and i'll be honest with you even for 1996 i think this is a bit a bit off i mean mean gene is with a sting and they're talking about uh sting's opponent this evening lord stephen regal and they're referring to him as a sissy and a prissy and mean gene does a a gesture well, i suppose the a, a term you could use i'm not trying to be offensive at all i'm just struggling for the words 
he kind of goes very limp wristed and 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 so on and sting starts talking about how that's how they breed the boys in england and drinking his cup of tea with his pinky out and basically they're very close to the line of homophobia for me yeah it's not aged very well at all has it danny no it has not i think this could be something that uh gets wiped from peacock um i would have to ask someone in america if this has been wiped because this to be honest this is the worst thing interview i've ever heard i mean just uh just being from england and stuff like that is is it, you find it offensive it's like what about if people actually watched it it, it seemed like sting didn't care that other people outside of the u.s uh were um, watching this yeah yeah potentially i mean it's it's all the the, the sissy and prissy comments and so i mean even at the end of the interview uh, gene is on camera for literally a couple of seconds on his own and he says maybe i went too far in calling him a sissy or i shouldn't have done that so gene obviously knows that, that they've gone a bit close to the line here yeah uh sting also completely loses his way in the promo he co- he's talking and it's almost like he forgets the end of the sentence he has just started and completely loses his way and turns to gene and says i can't say that you take it for a minute, Gene. And mean Gene has to kind of cover for him, doesn't he? Yeah, I found that. Maybe he was, I took it as like, maybe he was trying to, he was stopping himself saying something that really would have got him in trouble rather than just insinuating. But now you say that, he did seem a bit lost. Mm. It, it just wasn't a good look all around, to be fair. Yeah. I don't think we'd have lost anything with regards to the upcoming match or the pay-per-view in general if this, this quite ignorant and quite rude promo wasn't on the pay-per-view if, if i'm yeah. being honest yeah it's very skippable yeah uh after this we go back to the ring and we have diamond dallas page and i suppose he's defending his battle bowl ring again danny i was shocked um here we are again <laughs> just with, he doesn't have um larry sabisco on commentary to uh cheer his praises but yeah, in a very unadvertised um, match, he's facing Marcus Alexander Bagwell, which um, I didn't know happened until I started doing research into the Saturday nights after. Okay. Yeah, so I was quite shocked um, that these two had been feuding uh, on um, Saturday night, but he never made it to Nitro um, previous to this pay-per-view. So, yeah, but uh, it's a, you could almost call it a surprise match. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, the, the whole the whole aspect of DDP defending a ring, I'm not too sure about it, but I suppose it adds a little bit more to this match rather than it just being a random mid-card pay-per-view contest for no particular reason, I guess. They're, I suppose they're trying to give me something to care about, which is what I say quite often on the show, so I shouldn't criticise too much. Uh, yeah. Bagwell here is in the match because apparently he and his American males partner, Scotty Riggs, tossed a coin to decide who was going to wrestle. So <laughs> that, <laughs> well, that's one way of booking a card, I guess. It is. And somebody has to replace John V. Bads, don't they? Well, this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, Bagwell turns his back early on and DDP takes control by jumping him. Eventually, we end up with a bit of a scrap on the outside. Diamond Dallas Page falls into the crowd and does his spot where he wraps himself up in one of the TV cables, but the cable isn't there. So he does it by wrapping himself into a chair, which I thought was just a a brilliant moment again from Paige. Yeah, definitely. And Dusty had a lot of fun with that. Mm. 
Uh, Bagwell works the arm for quite a while. Um, we get a cool moment where DDP is kind of led between the top and middle rope sideways on, and Bagwell drops, kicks him out the ring, and then hits a crossbody over the top. That was that was quite good. Uh, yep. A long abdominal stretch spot from Diamond Dallas Page using the ropes, you know, very old school heel tactics. I mean, at this stage, I'm starting to think, okay, Bag Diamond Dallas Page stands out. He's got charisma and he's not quite found his character yet, but you can see what he's trying to do. Bagwell here at this point in his career, I j- I'm just not that bothered really, Danny. I just, I just kind of find him quite bland. Yeah, they're definitely trying to give him something like with this ring and, and things like that. It's just kind of like, okay, we've, we've, I mean, I think he's pretty much been on every pay-per-view we've seen, size. So mm. it might, someone in the office must be... Um, champion for him to uh, kind of get over but um yeah i can kind of see that as well i mean they have to give him something but it's just he's kind of lost his way at the minute without um kimberly yeah there you go uh bagwell attempts his uh fisherman suplex finisher which ddp counters by holding on to the the, the middle rope hits the diamond cutter, uh, and wins the match, which I suppose is another contest similar to Conan not too long ago that we were discussing. The outcome was never really in date for me, Danny. Yeah, it's very much like, um, okay, we've seen DDP with the battle ball ring, so we have to continue this. So we knew Bagwell wasn't winning. Mm, indeed. Uh, we return back to Mean Gene, and here's with Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy Hart and the Giant are talking about their main event contest with Lex Luger for the WCW World Heavyweight title. And the general gist of this is, Luger, you're going to get choke slammed and get beat, and you won't be able to get the rack on the Giant. Which is, you know, it, it did what it needed to do, I think, without going on too long. Yeah, definitely. And I love the fact that the camera zoomed into the giant when he was talking um, with a low voice. And then when he screamed, the camera kind of panned back. That's a cool effect. Mm. Yeah, very simple, but very effective, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, mate. What followed this, however, is, I mean, effectively, I'm just going to turn this over to you in a moment, Danny, because I've seen this before. But I yeah. want to hear your viewpoints on this. What followed is the Cruiserweight Championship match that I was very excited about last week or the week before, whenever it may well have been, when we spoke about it on Nitro Nights. We have Dean Malenko defending his WCW Cruiserweight title. And he is facing uh, Rey Mysterio Jr. making his WCW debut on a paper on a pay-per-view. Uh, I mean, first of all, Rey Mysterio looks incredibly different. He's not bulk, bulked up into his WWF or WWE body yet. He's not caked in tattoos, etc. But here we have a a much younger and dare I say it, a much more mobile Rey Mysterio facing who I believe in 1996 was one of the top wrestlers in the world in Dean Malenko. Danny, talk us through your thoughts and opinions. I absolutely love this match. Um, I was shocked to hear that this was Rey Mysterio's debut match. So I went on um, cage match, actually looked it up and it was. Yeah, um, he hadn't been in WWE apart from um, this debut. But um yeah, it was, I really enjoyed it. It was um, there was a lot of ground wrestling, and to me, if you watch a Rey Mysterio match from WWE, you, he doesn't really do that that much. But um, he was only twenty one here as well, which I was quite surprised about. But to me, this was um, I would say seventy percent of this match was Dean Malenko. Um, 
sort of wouldn't say leading Rey Mysterio through the match, but he was he was definitely in control of it. And I think this was an excellent match. Yes, I agree. I agree. I love. I mean, I'm a massive fan of Malenko anyway. Yeah. But here, I think that uh, when I when I talk to people and say I'm, I, I love Dean Malenko, his, his work in the nineties with WWE was fantastic, and so on. I would happily tell them go and watch this match, and you will understand why I like Dean Malenko. And at the same time, it will show people the type of wrestling I enjoy more so from what Malenko does than Mysterio. I enjoy the aerial stuff and the flying around and, and the athleticism it takes to put on those kind of moves and matches, of course. But I like, I mean, to me, it says wrestling on the poster. So to me, I like the actual wrestling aspect of the business, hold for hold, uh, the, the technical side and so on. And, and Malenko here epitomizes what I enjoy about professional wrestling. Yeah. And I- he's just superb here, Danny, isn't he? He really is, mate. And I love the fact that um, he's more known, like, he is a cruiserweight, but he's more known as a ground wrestler. And um, it really, really showed in this match. And I love that Mike Tenet was uh, brought in for this match as well, because um, there were a few times where Dustin Rose was acting a bit silly, but Mike Tenet always brought it back to the match. Yeah, and I think I think that's, again, we, we mentioned it earlier on, I think this is an era WCW have made here, because... Dusty Rhodes is Dusty Rhodes. He's not going to do anything different. You, you know what to expect from Dusty Rhodes. He is going to be as he is. Tony Schiavone is going to call the action. Not having somebody there to direct Rhodes or for Rhodes to bounce off, sometimes I think can allow Dusty to go off on these slightly silly tangents, I suppose. But here with, with Mike Denae as well, it just really works because you know, Shivani and Rhodes carry on doing what they they do they were doing earlier on in the pay per view and what they will continue to do for the rest of the show. But Mike Tenay really starts breaking down certain moves and giving you the history of Rey Mysterio and talking about Malenko's father who who wrestled and why certain moves are being used and the history of certain you know certain wrestling holds and so on. And I find all of that sort of thing absolutely fascinating. Again, it's it's just the complete geek, you know, complete nerdy geek in me, I guess. But Iron Mike being there, as as Dusty Rhodes refer to him as, really helps the product. I feel. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. And I loved. Um, yeah, like I didn't know about Rey Mysterio's uncle um, getting into rest. Uh, that he was the trainer of Rey Mysterio, so that was really cool that Mike Tanay was there giving us that information. Yeah, Rey Mysterio. Uh, here, Rey Mysterio is Rey Mysterio Jr. And that was his wrestling name for his whole career before he joined the WWF. And Vince McMahon decided we're not going to have him called Jr. That's silly, which is, you know, <laughs> again, you know, Vince is what Vince does. But Rey Mysterio Jr. has always been his his moniker. Rey Mysterio Sr. was his uncle, yes. And his uncle was the guy who trained him, got him into the business and so on. Um, so, yeah, Rey Mysterio Sr., which we, I don't think we've seen, but he is on a much earlier WCW pay-per-view. Um, maybe, I, wanna, I want to say one of the sort of early 90s Starcades, but I could be wrong with that, where they have almost like a World Cup of wrestling with regards to tag teams facing off against each other. And Rey Mysterio Sr., actually represents a nation in that tournament there so that's quite interesting to go back and look at as well yeah i'll, I'll look up for that with regards to the match itself uh malenko 
I suppose the only way to word it would be pops Ray's arm at one point. He has it between his legs and literally just jerks it and, and Mysterio sells it fantastically, screaming like he's literally had it popped out the socket. Yeah. Which, which then leads to Dimalenko working the arm for the majority of the match. And the crowd were very quiet at the beginning, but very quickly won over, I feel, which is a sign to how good this match is. Uh, we get various quite inventive moves by Malenko to work over the arm of Rey Mysterio, one of them being a belly-to-belly overhead suplex, which we've seen numerous times, Danny, all over the place, even on this pay-per-view of the Steiners. But Malenko combines it with a hammerlock as well. I thought that was quite inventive. That really was, mate. It was like he just went for it all. Indeed. Uh, Malenko eventually starts getting a little frustrated because Ray keeps kicking out and he can't, he can't, you know, get the win. Um, eventually we go to the outside and Mysterio then starts flying around the place, but it's not, it's not stupid and unnecessary aerial moves that we see sometimes in modern day wrestling. Everything Ray did as spectacular as it was, did kind of make sense to the match. The speed quickens here as Ray starts putting on more of an aerial performance. We get a lot of near falls. Uh, eventually, Dean Malenko counters almost like a head scissors attempt or maybe a victory roll attempt from Rey Mysterio into quite a vicious looking power bomb, Danny, doesn't he? Yeah, and then that is where the finish comes because um, I thought Rey Mysterio was actually going to get that whole Karana, but Dean just went, just splatted him and then got the free count. To me, I just wrote down excellent, excellent match. And if this is Rey Mysterio on his debut, no wonder he stuck around for, for all these years, for nearly nearly 30 years now. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, I think he's pushing 50 now, isn't he, Rey Mysterio? Yeah. Which, again, is crazy to think of when you see, when you see the guy wrestle, even nowadays. Uh, he had spent some time in ECW at this stage, and this is a, another reason why uh, Paul Heyman despises WCW or you know despised WCW back in the day because a lot of what WCW did that was was good with regards to the cruiserweight division. Mister, uh, sorry, Heyman says that they literally stole it from ECW. I mean, he uses the term a talent raid and he raided Bischoff, raided our roster and so on. I'm not sure that's accurate. I mean, if you're offering somebody better working conditions and more money. You know, as as an employee, you're going to take it. I guess a, a raid, yeah. maybe not the uh, the correct term, but like I understand how he can be frustrated if he's bought a lot of these cruiserweights in to the United States and then they all jump ship to WCW. But at the same time, you know, it's called the wrestling business. The second word in that statement is business. So that's just kind of the way it works, Danny, isn't it? So true, mate. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we have our busy little friend, Mean Gene Oakland, back again. He is all over the place on this pay-per-view. Uh, and Gene here is talking to the challenger for our world title main event later on in the evening, Lex Luger. Uh, Lex again. This isn't good, is it, from Luger, Danny? I found this one a bit more bearable than the Sting one, uh, the interview, because um, with this, Lex, he didn't, even he said it himself, he wasn't, he may have not seemed like he was into it, but I think he looked fa- fantastic draped in both of those WCW championship belts. Yeah, very true, very true. Um, I'm going to come to it later on when we give out our, our plus points and our negatives and so on, but... With the way Sting lost his way in his promo and literally almost froze, I guess, 
and had to get Gene to take over. Luger almost does the same thing here. He kind of loses his way halfway through the promo, doesn't really know what he's on about, stumbles over his own words. Gene kind of jumps in at one point to try and help. I'm not a fan of scripted promos. I would rather the guys sink or swim. I'd rather they come out and if they need to cut a promo, they do their best. If they cannot cut a promo, you give them a mouthpiece. There's ways of hiding people's shortcomings here. Uh, Luger, I think, does work relatively well when he's got other people around him, which we will see in future years. Again, I'm not a fan of scripted promos that we see a lot in the WWF. But this is almost a contradiction to that for me because I almost feel that maybe this is an ad for for scripted promos. Yeah. If Luger and Sting had potentially worked on what they were going to say rather than having a couple of bullet points and then just having the camera stuck in front of them, they might not have looked as as wobbly as they did, Danny. I'm not sure. What are your thoughts on, on, on scripted promos in general? I I think I do like scripted promos because they it's like um somebody like roman reigns when he first started and probably now even um i don't think he could cope without a scripted promo um that's okay. just my observation um because of that uh that in ring segment he had with john cena where he seemed to stumble i mean everyone has a bad night and things like that but i think a lot of wrestlers more wrestlers especially today need scripted promos um here you're right, it, it definitely looked like um, Sting and Lex Luger just arrived to the building and then was just given um, a couple of seconds to read the bullet points and then just told to uh, tear down their opponent and things like that. I Yeah, I just... I, I, I liked this interview because it was Lex Luger in a more serious tone, but it, it could have been a lot better. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, our next contest is... I think in a spot on the card that nobody really wants, because having to try and follow that cruiserweight match is always going to be difficult, regardless of who you are. And the unfortunate duo taken to the ring here that follow that fantastic cruiserweight contest is the uh, well, the, the battle between Big Bubba and John Tenter over a haircut and the Dungeon of Doom and other such nonsense. Uh, Tenta has no music for his entrance which I find a little jarring to be honest I don't quite know why that was Bubba at some point quite early on uses a foreign object without us ever really getting told what the foreign object is and then it's hidden and took away by Jimmy Hart which we see not very clearly on, on the television show we're watching but the crowd in attendance would have had absolutely no idea it was going on Bubba hits an insiguri, which looks quite spectacular because he's such a big fella. But eventually John Tenter wins with a power slam and cuts a little bit off Big Bubba's beard. Have I missed anything there, Danny? Remember, sir, he is a man, not a fish. <laughs> yes. You're desperate for a t-shirt with that on as well, aren't you? I am, yeah. But now you've pretty much covered it all, mate. Um, I just find it very, very ironic that... Um, just a little peek behind the curtain. We're taping this on a Thursday, and last night on AEW, somebody got their uh, basically their um, man bun cut off, and Samoa Joe was uh, parading around with it. And I was thinking, things in wrestling never change, do they? Because you've got Big Bubba parading around with um, half of John Tenter's hair, and now all these years later, it's still happening. What is this fascination with wrestlers and hair? 
it's it draws heat doesn't it i mean it's very old school it's very very old school we're going right back yeah. to the territory days you know and even further back into you know the 50s and the 60s there's matches where people would lose their hair but it's uh, it, it's again giving people a reason to care it's it's adding stakes to the match isn't it yeah you know if such and such loses they lose their mask if this person loses they have to retire if this person loses then we're shaving their head all this sort of stuff it just adds something extra to the match to make people uh care to give them something more to invest into i suppose i mean for my aspect if somebody cut my hair i would be raging so that would but be si- you know it's it, i can understand where certain people come from from this but si, john tenter had no hair to begin with this is true yeah <laughs> this is true it's like when kurt angle had his head shaved yeah yeah, it was just, it was like useless. <laughs> we had a grade two anyway. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, we do get another little um, promo package or interview here. Mean Gene is back and he is with uh, a tribe of people, a whole troop of people here, a whole collection. We have Mongo McMichael and his wife, Deborah. We have Kevin Green and his wife, Tara. Uh, they, the ladies don't really say a great deal. Mongo and Kevin Green get all shouty and pointy and and start yelling baby 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 all the damn time again. It's just absolute Sorry. nonsense. Do you know mm-hmm. how many times they said baby in this? Did you count? Yes. Okay. Now I'm going to say this promo. I don't think this promo was longer than say 45 seconds. <laughs> so go on. How many times did they say baby in 40 to 45 seconds? Eight times. My God. <laughs> It's ridiculous, isn't it? It is, especially when we talked about it last week. Um, that's all Mongo said. It seems like Kevin Green has picked up his habit of just saying, baby, baby, baby. Um, the only redeeming factor about this was the fact that Macho Man walked in and was like, he saved them completely because they were trying to do 1980s wrestlers promos at the beginning of this until Macho Man came in and took control of the situation. Yeah, yeah, and again, we're going to have a little bit of fun, I imagine, at Mongo's expense and at Kevin Green's expense uh, on this pay per view and going forward with Nitro Nights as well. But they're not in an atmosphere that is their first port and call, is it? It's not. It's not. Yeah. This this is not their background. They are stepping in to the wrestling world, having very much come from a different background. So we, I fully appreciate that. And I, I, I believe, you know, a bit of a spoiler alert for later on in the pay-per-view, I believe they don't actually do that bad a job. But we'll get to that shortly. One thing that did frustrate me a little bit with this promo, however, a big deal has been made in the upcoming weeks to this pay-per-view. Talking about uh, managers or coaches, as they then got referred to as, with Bobby Heenan coaching the Horseman team. Savage had to be a coach for the NFL team. That was very, very important as well. And we had um, a whiteboard up at one stage, and they were drawing up game plans and tactics about how they're going to do this, how they're going to do that. The commentary team are very keen to push the fact that the coaches are important with devising game plans uh, and tactics to how this is going to uh, affect the match with you know NFL players taking on wrestlers. First line out of Mongo's mouth in this interview. I don't give a damn about game plans. Brilliant. Well done, Michael. <laughs> Completely trashed your last three weeks of television. I knew that would get under your skin, Si. Yeah, that was... Uh, that, yeah, that just made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> it's just It just rubbishes everything they've been building up. Just wasted television time. You, you put it perfectly, mate. 
Oh, it just it makes me cross. But never mind, never mind. Because what followed this was bloody fantastic. We have Kevin Sullivan taking on Chris Benoit in a Falls Count Anywhere match. It's a battle between the Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom, which then Kevin Sullivan says is not a battle between the Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom. It's a battle <laughs> between Sullivan and Arn and Flair. But then he had a battle with Pillman. But that wasn't about the Dungeon of Doom either. And now he's having a battle with Benoit, which apparently is not about the Dungeon of Doom. But he's got to rid the horsemen of the of Benoit for the Dungeon of Doom's sake. It makes absolutely no sodding sense. But I don't care because this match was fantastic, Danny. Oh, I absolutely loved this match. We said it a couple of weeks ago, sir. But I've seen this match years ago on the Chris Benoit DVD. This was better than I remembered. Um, I forgot about the fight starting on the aisle way where Chris Benoit is not even waiting for Kevin Sullivan to walk down the ring. He's like, nah, fuck this. I'm going to come after you. So he just <laughs> goes straight after him and they start brawling. And I was just, I had to watch this match twice because I was like, I want to watch it uh, without writing things down and then watch it with writing things down. And it was like, wow. I, yeah. This, this match is just brilliant. It, it is very good. It is very good. Um, I've listened to Kevin Sullivan talk about this match. I've listened to Bischoff and Tony Schiavone separately talk about this match as well. And and they say that it, it was it was just chaos. I mean, it was chaos for us watching, but it was chaos for those involved. And apparently the production team were panicking like mad as well. Uh, effectively, what happens now in in pro wrestling or sports entertainment, etc., with regards to force count anywhere matches or matches that spill off into the arena and they fight past the merch stands and so on. It's all very well produced. It's all very well put together. Safety is paramount for everyone involved, which of course is the way it should be. Of course, we're dealing with members of the general public sort of milling around as well. Certain fans are selected to stand in certain areas, but then they're very much told you do not pass here which is why sometimes you see a funny semicircle formed of fans rather than get you know getting closer. And also security and so on is is around them to stop them moving in, and, and etc. Lots of bodies involved in the safety and the organisation of what we see in wrestling now. Here, that wasn't the case. So when Sullivan and Benoit started fighting up through the crowd, it's absolute chaos because they have not got enough security there to control the crowd. And they are incredibly close to the wrestlers as as this chaos ensues all over the place. Even more so when they fight through the, I think they said the middle level of the arena, which people can imagine is where you come up the steps, go out the back, and this is where you might go to the toilet or find the bar or the merch stand or whatever. And they sort of fight through into the men's bathroom, the, the toilets. And fans will pile in to watch this. Apparently, the production teams were panicking like crazy because they weren't expecting fans to do this. <laughs> so they had to have security rush in there and try and block these fans from getting too close. More fans were trying to fight their way in to see what was going on. But I think, you know, nobody was hurt, to my knowledge. And I'm glad this doesn't happen nowadays because some idiot would ruin it for everybody else and somebody would get hurt. However, in this instance, in 1996, that chaos of those fans adds to what we're watching i think danny yeah that's a great way of putting it mate is um it was very gritty um it looked unplanned and it i mean that's things we we always um 
countless fans on Twitter or social media, you all say, oh, that was too scripted. Um, I remember an instance where Braun Strowman and Kane were having a fight in the backstage area and it was it just looked like a, a Steven Spielberg movie where where um the uh like everything was just pre planned. There was like explosions and a um a van got tipped over or something like that. And it was like this was this has all been done. This is the complete opposite. And uh, the only thing that put it down a notch for me was Dusty Rhodes and Tony Schiavone la- laughing at certain elements in it because it c- kind of took away the, the seriousness of the uh, fighting, especially when they were near the toilets. Ah, uh, see, uh, it didn't bother me too much, you know. Yeah. It didn't bother me too much. I thought Dusty in this match was fantastic, but I don't know if it, I don't know if I... What I enjoyed from Dusty on commentary in this match, I don't know if it was the enjoyment I got out of it was the fact that he was almost comical with it. And I don't know if that was his aim, but that's what I took anyway. And there's yeah. a moment where, I mean, Tony Schiavone, first of all, says about he thought that Benoit or Sullivan was going to put the other guy's head in the urinal, in, in the commode, as he called it. And he then later on in the match says, I never thought I'd use that line when calling a wrestling match on pay-per-view. And to me, that's true. Why would you think you'd use that line? So that made me chuckle. But the yeah. one for me was when Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> Dusty notices that they're fighting in the men's uh, toilets, the, the men's um, shower rooms, toilets, whatever. And there's a lady in there. Just one of the crowd has fought their way to the front to see what's going on, and it's a lady. And Dusty absolutely loses his shit when he sees <laughs> that there's a woman in the men's room. He's not bothered about the fact that Kevin Sullivan has been slamming Benoit's head in the door, the fact that they've been fighting up and down the stairs. Dusty loses the plot. He's the most animated in he is in the whole pay-per-view when he sees that there's a woman <laughs> in the men's changing rooms, toilets, whatever. It's just so silly but so dusty i loved it yeah that was a great moment i mean he i've never heard um dusty Rhodes more excited in my life than he was to see a woman in a men's toilet <laughs> he was yelling she shouldn't be there she should this is the men's room it's like yeah i think it's gone beyond that now dusty to be fair <laughs> <laughs> eventually we we head back into the actual arena part of the building uh benoit takes a nasty fall down the steps Kevin Sullivan starts throwing a chair around and he hits Benoit in the head, which looked quite painful. Some tables are eventually bought out. And then finally, we get in the ring after all this. <laughs> uh, the table is used to effectively build a platform across the top rope, uh, sort of straddling the corner, I guess. And Benoit hits a really impressive looking, I suppose, superplex, but there's like an almost snap version to it from this platform for the three count. And it's just bloody brilliant isn't it oh, it really is mate and i loved the fact that that super that superplex just looked absolutely like violent it just he kevin sullivan's full body just went straight onto the mat and it just looked like he killed him <laughs> so it was very very violent um i love this match yeah and i cannot wait to see these two uh continue their feud mm. after the contest however arn anderson comes out throws Benoit to one side and everyone's a bit concerned as to what's going on. But then Arn turns and starts giving Kevin Sullivan a pasting and and Benoit joins in as well. And the crowd pop huge because we're seeing 
I suppose, the horsemen getting pieced back together slowly. And this is horseman territory. These these parts of the country where WCW are running their pay-per-views at this time is very much old school uh, for horsemen territory. After this, we have a we have a promo with Woman and Liz and Arn and Benoit and Ric Flair is there. And they're talking about the horsemen, but they're not stating the four horsemen. They're just saying the, the horsemen. There's no number there because at the moment, there's only three guys. Yeah. So I, I wonder that. where that's going to go. I know. I found that a bit weird. Um, them not saying the four horsemen or anything, but this, to me, I think this got the biggest salvation of the night from the fans when Arn Anderson turned and hit um, Kevin Sullivan. The pop was amazing. Mm. Yes, it, they definitely love their horsemen there, don't they? Uh, after this promo, we see Stephen Regal making his way to the ring. And you know he he comes down with his with his butler waving his little Union Jack flags and so on. And Regal throughout this whole next contest, I think, is absolute gold. His mannerisms, his his facials to the crowds, the way he's talking to the crowd, talking to the camera, everything about Regal in this is brilliant. Sting's music hits, and oh my God, does that crowd come alive, Danny? Big time, mate. They could not wait to see Sting and. Um... Yeah, if you're thinking, oh, um, why is Stephen Regal facing Sting on a random pay-per-view or something? Regal definitely earned his stripes here. He really, really showed um, he could hang with the big stars like Sting. Um, And fair enough, it's not been a big, massive build-up. But uh, we've had about, I'd say, about two weeks full of um, a build for this uh, match. And this match did feel important. And Regal definitely hung in there. Yeah, but again, it comes back to they've given they've given me personally anyway. They've given me a reason to care. Yeah, we we have Regal is frustrated because he's not involved in the title picture. He decides he's going to try and target a big name in the company to make his point. He targets Sting. He gives him a slap. They exchange promos. They exchange interviews back and forth. Very very simple. Not a great deal of storytelling to it. Quite a simple plot. But by the time we get to this pay per view. They've given me a reason to care. I'm invested and I want to see this match. Yeah, same, mate. And it all comes back to storytelling, I guess, doesn't it? But there we go. Yeah. Sting starts this match very, very quickly, as I suppose the babyface in this scenario should. Uh, Eventually, Regal does take control, though, when he rakes the eyes of Sting. And Regal, again, he's playing to the crowd. He's doing the fake bicep pose where he pushes the muscle up with his finger from the other side, which always makes me smile. Eventually, Regal offers a handshake to Sting, which is just, again, pure comedy heel nonsense. It, it, it's great stuff. Uh, but it's easy to, I suppose, gloss over what Regal actually does in the ring. I mean, Sting himself is fantastic. Sting does some great stuff here. But Sting is Sting, and he's doing stuff that we see Sting do on a regular basis. It's, it's I enjoy watching Sting wrestle, and you know what you're going to get. Regal here, however, he's doing all the comedy and all, all the proper old-school heel shtick. But we see a dropkick from Regal that looked impressive. Regal's working on the arm for quite a while with various different holds and so on. We see a neck bridge to get out of a pin attempt by Regal that turns into a little kip up onto his feet, which I thought was superb. There's so much what so much what Regal does here that I just thought, man, this guy is so so good, and almost to the point where I think it is potentially quite underrated because a lot of people in this era would look at him as a comedy act. But this guy can really go, Danny. 
he really can. And this time, he was. I would say he was in his prime, definitely, because um, we get because of television time and pay per view time and things like that. We don't really get to see him in long matches uh, on Nitro, but he was definitely saving something for this pay-per-view because he just went all out. I mean, I forgot how brutal the regal stretch looked, his submission mm. finisher, and he had it on for quite a while. So this um, this almost could be match of the night. Yeah, it, it surpassed my expectations, to be fair. I expected yep. it to be good, but it was much better than I anticipated. Yep, uh, the the we- finish, sorry, Danny, carry on. No, I was just going to say, we also, um, in halfway in this match, we get told that Bash of the Beach is only three weeks away. Exciting times. Exciting times. Also, partway through this match, there's a fella in the front row or second row randomly waving a rubber chicken. And I don't really know why. <laughs> I have no idea either. I, I'm, we're going to have to think about that one. <laughs> mm, don't quite know the the reference to there. I don't know whether that links in with Sting or Regal's character in particular. But he seemed very animated about this rubber chicken he had. So we'll keep an eye out for him on future shows. Definitely. <laughs> uh, the finish eventually comes when Sting manages to apply the Scorpion Deathlock for the win via submission. But Regal here is is just absolute gold he is he is superb and danny you mentioned bash at the beach we get a little advert for it don't we yep we do um this advert was i was trying to think where's the wrestlers in this advert but i guess it didn't matter because the main thing was it's three weeks away i did not know um pay-per-views were spaced three weeks away in this era i thought that was more of a like mid 2000s um thing where we'd get pay-per-views what seemed like every other week (laughs) Um, yeah, I was quite shocked, surprised to hear that we've only got three weeks before um, Bash of the Beach. Well, it varies. It varies. We're going to get some gaps of five to six weeks. We're going to get some gaps of four weeks. It it depends very much upon tradition and the weekends that they could get on pay-per-view and so on as well. So it ah. will vary a bit. But yeah, it does. it is quite a quick turnaround from this one to the next one, which I suppose works to their advantage because this is this is a good show. They've done some yeah. good. They've done some good numbers for the time. I mean, the numbers go up and up. Don't get me wrong. But they've done some good numbers for the time, and the product's hot. So having another yeah. pay per view coming around in a couple of weeks is it, it, probably to their benefit, I guess. Yeah, especially with WWF increasing their pay per views as well at this time. Well, yeah, all the in your house events were were very much uh, up and running by this point. I think they've been running for a year or two by this stage. So, but again, this is. This is a, a, an example, again, of the WWF reacting yeah. to WCW. WCW were the first ones to go, okay, we'll put on eight pay-per-views. Okay, then we'll try 10. Well, if they buy 10, they'll probably buy 12. And, it, and yeah. the, the, the WWF kind of reacts to that by putting on the In Your House pay-per-views and then the, those changing to full-on pay-per-views. Because obviously In Your House was a shorter show available for less money and so on. So, again... Another example, as we spoke about a few weeks ago on the show, Danny, of WWF acting in a very reactional kind of way to what WCW were doing first. And I think it's quite easy to forget how Nitro, Bischoff and WCW really did change the business and and set the example for others, including Vince McMahon, to follow. Definitely, mate. What follows here, though? is one of our, I suppose, big featured bouts. A lot of television time has been put into this contest. We have the Legends of the Gridiron versus the Legends of Pro Wrestling, as our ring announcer Michael Buffer describes it as. 
we have Ric Flair and Arn Anderson taking on Steve Mongo McMichael and Kevin Green. First things I notice with regards to the entrances, the crowd are loving Flair and Arn here. Now, I don't know if they've got their horseman juices flowing because of what's happened with Benoit. If that's the case, maybe they've structured this card a little bit incorrectly because obviously they want the babyface reaction from Mongo and, and Kevin Green. But the crowd, are in, the crowd are cheering Flair and Arn Anderson here, Danny, aren't they? They really was, mate. And it was like, okay, so when um, Mongo and Green came out, um, they kind of got a lukewarm response until Macho Man um, came out and kind of saved the day. But um, there was a lot of Macho Man crowd signs in the um, in the audience. And to me, this just felt like, okay, we're going to see Arn Anderson and Ric Flair versus the Macho Man. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we know it wasn't. Um, this match, I absolutely loved Um yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe I would go as far as to say this should have been the main event. Interesting. Okay, so that was something I was going to get to later on in the show. Yeah. But we might as well cover it now. The the Luger Giant main event, yeah. the, the, which goes on last. Um, I mean, there's not a great deal to discuss with regards to Luger and the Giant. So I think if you don't mind, Danny, we'll jump into that right now just to get out of the way. Yeah. Uh, Luger and Giant finish the show. Um, we get uh, Luger early on sends the Giant over the top rope, gets a bit of a reaction there. Uh, the crowd are quite subdued throughout the main event because of what Danny and I are going to discuss in a moment that preceded this contest. Luger does get a sleeper on the Giant, but it, it is the sort of standard sort of big man facing off against a smaller man. I can't say big man, little man, because Luger is a Giant in his own right, but yeah. it, that, that title match is very much Luger trying to gain advantage on his bigger opponent. At one point, Jimmy Hart tries to get involved, but Sting turns up and runs him off. The action's quite slow, which doesn't really help it, but the Giant is very slow and plodding, and Luger isn't exactly going to fly around the ring, building up a huge level of pace to his contests. So, you know, maybe that was a bit of a booking error there, because we know this match isn't going to be of the quickest caliber. Uh, Luger eventually fights back, the giant misses a splash in the corner, but ends up kind of straddled over both sides of the top rope, similar to how the table was in the earlier contest, almost like when it made a platform across the top rope in the corner. Luger tries to rack the giant from there, doesn't quite get it right, falls. The giant splats down on the back of Luger's head, choke slam, giant retains the title, show goes off the air. So that's how the pay per view finished. Now, Please, you know, bear with us. This is not the normal way we run through these shows. Normally, we would cover the main event or the match that is on last. We would cover last. However, I think it's quite important to get that out of the way now because the crowd were incredibly quiet. They were incredibly subdued. The match was very slow and plodding, which didn't help get the crowd back on their feet, I think, Danny. Yeah, and the fact that it went under 10 minutes was a, quite a big shock as well. Mm. However, your point about this match here, Flair and Arn against Mongo and Kevin Green closing the show, that's, that didn't enter my mind before. I've never thought of this before. But I think you're onto something here. Because yeah. you've got all this celebrity involvement, all these eyes on this match, and the crowd are wild for it. The crowd are <laughs> crazy for it. Now, we know what happens after this contest, and we're going to speak about it momentarily with regards to Eric Bischoff and so on. And it plays a big part into knocking the wind out of the sails for the main event. 
that's always going to happen because we have the outsiders, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash arriving and attacking Eric Bischoff, which we'll discuss in a moment. That was always going to get a reaction from the crowd and whatever followed that moment was always going to struggle. I think you're onto something there, Danny. Luger and the Giant going on last was never going to win the crowd back over. No. But the Horseman versus Mongo and Kevin Green might well have done that. It might well have won the crowd back over after that moment with Bischoff, Hall and Nash. I'd never thought of that before. And I think I think you've been very clever there. I think that's a really, really good idea. Thank you, mate. I, I just, it just was an observation that came to me when I saw the crowd, how low they were after the um, the outsiders attacking Eric Bischoff. And I was just like, if you had put that one before this tag match, we definitely, it would have changed a lot. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Really interesting. I mean, it's fun. To, you know, obviously, we got the, we've got the benefit of hindsight. We can say, well, this, 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 but... And I'm always a big fan of the world title going on last. I think, the, again, we come back to a bit of a cliche that I throw about quite often. It says wrestling on the poster. It should be about the wrestling. And the world title is what every wrestler in the company should be you know, aiming to get at. It should be your main event. Yeah. However, in this scenario, when you've got such a historic moment that is going to knock the wind out of the sails for the crowd... And then you've got a match that has got celebrities and, and NFL players involved and, and the crowd are going to be wild for. I think, yeah, tinkering with the running order, it, it would have been the right thing to do. Danny, I think I think that's a really good point. Thank you, mate. But in regards to this match, this match could be summed up in two words. Wrestling magic, so. <laughs> You You think so, do you? Okay. Talk, talk, me through, talk me through what you saw and why you were so fond of it then. I mean, first of all, before you do... I just want to say we had Pepe back. He was part of the entrance. So that made me <laughs> smile. We haven't seen Pepe for a few weeks. Yeah, I was getting worried about where he was. But, yep, he's definitely back. That made me smile as well. Um, it, what, I be, what I mean by wrestling magic is there was so much um, to distract you from the fact that Mongo and Green aren't wrestlers, aren't seasoned wrestlers, Um that you barely noticed that they were actually terrible in the ring. <laughs> um, my, uh, Rick Flair and Arn Anderson absolutely sold. They just earned every penny that they were paid for this. I hope they were paid double because <laughs> there were certain amounts, there were certain uh, bits of time when Mongo McMichael was doing a shoulder, a shoulder tackle to Arn Anderson. And you could actually see Arn Anderson jumping to try and make it look like he was getting hit, but he wasn't. Um, yeah, this and you had all the distraction with the wives, uh, Macho Man, and but most of all, what I loved about this match was seeing Bobby Heenan standing ringside again. That was what a treat that is. Yeah, and Heenan's interactions with uh, with Mongo and Kevin Green, and then Savage as well. Yeah, it's you can't fault the guy. He's absolute gold, and it's a really difficult one for me because I, I love Heenan, the manager. He was, you know, predominantly a manager when I started watching a little bit of wrestling when I was a kid. He progressed to being more of a commentator when I got into it properly. But also, you know, you go back and watch all the old stuff, don't you, as, as, as a fan. And I want to see Heenan involved in these roles. I want to see Heenan involved cutting promos, stood behind Flair and all that sort of stuff. 
But I just feel that we miss him so much from commentary. Because, yeah. I mean, how many times have we done our woos and our oh brothers over the course of the last few months? And my woo has gone to Bobby Heenan on commentary because he has been that good that he stole the show for me. It's, it's almost like you want two of him. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like, can we just clone this man, please? <laughs> because when he was just him standing at ringside, dressed to the nines, um, just his mannerisms are so good. And that's something we do miss on commentary because the camera doesn't really go over there, only at the end and the beginning of shows. But just him, he's such a talented uh, character just on camera. He's just brilliant. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think we get some some sort of clever little storytelling and, and aspects to this match as well. And it's very simple with regards to the horseman combo of Flair and Arn have the advantage whenever it comes to the wrestling aspect of this contest. However, the NFL guys are, are very much in charge and have control and uh, the, the favor is with them more so when it becomes about power and aggression yeah, And that's kind of the theme that runs throughout this whole match. Until at one point we get uh, Mongo and Kevin Green putting on figure four leg locks on their opponents, which the crowd reacted quite positively to as well. Uh, we also see a massive Mongo sucks sign unraveled <laughs> in the crowd, which tickled me a little bit. That was great. But yeah, you're dead on with that, mate. It's like they, they were there for the power and they were there as much, had as much... Um, just lack of ability as they could. And they did a really good job. And Arn Anderson and Ric Flair deserve a lot of credit for that. I agree. I totally agree. Um, as you mentioned, the wives get chased off by Liz and woman. Uh, the four horsemen work over Mongo for a little while. I mean, selling is not his forte, but again, he's still incredibly new to what he's doing here. I think they, I think overall you could tell these guys weren't wrestlers and their reliance on NFL silliness the rolling on the mat and the the sort of head slapping and all the silly NFL stuff. The reliance on that was too much for me, but I'm not a big fan of the NFL. Somebody from the NFL who knows these guys who grew up in this era watching this might have got more out of that than, than I. So it's unfair for me to criticize. Uh, eventually Kevin Green gets the hot tag because Mongo has been worked over for a while. He throws a couple of body slams and a couple of bat body drops in and, and Green here, I think looks, looks pretty decent when he's, when he's you know going in and taking advantage of the opposition here. Uh, eventually we end up with a figure four being put on Kevin Green though. And uh, Arn here is grabbing Flair's hands and putting on the hands and, and adding extra pressure to Kevin Green's legs. To me, this spot didn't need to be in the match because this is a football player, not a wrestler, who is in a guy who has won at this stage, I think they said 13 world titles. He's in his finishing move. He should tap out. Yeah, that's it a good should, point. That, that to me should doesn't need to be in the match. If you're, going to, if you're going to do that, it should be the finish. You don't need to have that spot in there because the match was not going to suffer if you took that out. It just kind of weakens the figure four for me. But anyway, uh, Benoit arrives at ringside, again, aligning himself with Arn and Flair, and he has a bit of a scrap with Randy Savage. And then woman and Elizabeth come back out. But Deborah is with them, and she's wearing a, a fancy evening gown as well, in the same way that Liz and woman wear when they accompany the horsemen anywhere. And they're carrying a briefcase and they head over to Mongo, open the briefcase up. 
and the briefcase contains a four horseman shirt which by the way i need to buy i love that shirt and a big stack of cash they're obviously paying mongo off which you know throws back to a comment by tony shivani earlier on in the match which is very cleverly you know inserted in there you know sowing the seeds so to speak when mongo left one of the one of his teams and signed for i believe it was green bay i'm not exactly clued up on on mongo's nfl career apologies if i've got that wrong he was asked why did you do that and mongo literally just said for the money they were going to pay me more so that that just kind of sowed the seeds a little bit for what was going to come because here mongo is being effectively with the t-shirt and the money asked to join the horseman he turns on kevin green nails him with the briefcase puts the horseman t-shirt on afterwards they all throw up the four fingers and celebrate and shake hands and i just think that okay mongo at this stage isn't really pro wrestling yet kevin green isn't really pro wrestling but the way arn and flair carried them through this match and then that finish with the turn and everything that went around it and, and seeing four of them stood there. Now we have the four horsemen complete. I think everything about the end of that match was just total class. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Um, I'm gonna use uh something I haven't said in a while on this show, Sai. Okay. I'm gonna say I got worked because I truly got worked. I did not know this happened. I knew uh, Mongo was in the four horsemen. I thought that was a much later date in '97. I had no idea he joined it this early. Um, and I was shocked that um, he just turned on Kevin Green, especially after all those ridiculous promos and things. But, yeah, I loved this. I loved sitting there and just being shocked and just wanting to know what happens next with Mongo. And um, now we have the Four Horsemen complete. And we have and Deborah was in it all along with Ric Flair. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think she was. Oh. It all along i think she's gone backstage and they've convinced her oh yeah with the briefcase and things. yeah and then she's come out to convince her husband because she's literally saying to him look at all the money though look at all the money you know and i i i, get, I think that she was convinced backstage by liz and woman and so on and then she's come out to convince mongo that's the way i took it anyway yeah but where was uh, pepe He's probably just gone for a kip or something. They tied him up somewhere and, you know, he'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Does that make him a four horseman too? Yeah, but he's quite small, isn't he? So maybe he's like a quarter of a horseman. So we've got like the four, the four and a quarter horseman or something. I don't know. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after this brilliant moment, though, with the horsemen, I suppose, uh, completing their number, their iconic number of four, we have an iconic moment in itself. We have Eric Bischoff on stage wearing a very lovely 1990s suit with granddad collar shirt. He looks very fetching in his 90s garb here. And Bischoff is effectively calling out the the invading duo who still have yet to be named. We've had no reference to what they are called yet still. But for the benefit of this podcast and our conversation, Danny, we'll just refer to them as Hall and Nash. But they're still not being referred to as Hall and Nash or as Razor and Diesel or anything like that. But he is calling out Hall and Nash, the outsiders, because they want an answer. They want to know, are they going to get their match? Are they going to get their fight? And Bischoff tells them, the fight is on, but it will happen at Bash at the Beach. And it's going to be them two and their big surprise. 
versus three guys from WCW. And I believe they said we're going to find out on the next Nitro who their three guys are going to be. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep, yeah, he did. Yeah, he said tomorrow night. Mm, okay, that's interesting. So that'll be next week on Nitro Nights. We'll find out the team there. Before they get into it, though, and this segment doesn't last very long, Danny, does it? To be fair, it's quite a quick, yeah. quick run through of what happens. Before they get into it, though, Bischoff very bluntly and very, cl- I think this is the most important part, very clearly asks them straight to the point, do you work for the WWF? And both Nash and Hall answer no. And it's very clear, very definitive, very to the point before Scott Hall then says, but let's move on because we want to talk about the future, not the past. Now, that's all down to, and we're going to get more into this when we do our deep dive into the, the, the start of the NWO, which I think we'll probably do to coincide with the Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, Danny, when, uh, yeah. when we get the, with the NWO, the original trio of the NWO completed. I think we'll look into that, those first few weeks of the formation of the NWO and how it all came about from you know the, the, the beginning talks right up to the Bash at the Beach moment in a, in a special episode sometime yeah. soon, yes? Definitely, mate, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll get into it more on that then when we get to that stage. But this is because of lawsuits now that have been thrown around. The WWF had sued WCW and said that they are um, confusing the marketplace, confusing the consumer, and they're saying that they are insinuating that WWF wrestlers will be appearing on WCW television. Um, they need to stop doing that because, again, it's confusing the consumer. It's confusing the, the customer, the viewer. So that's why they had to very much, very clearly, under instructions from Time Warner's lawyers, from Ted Turner and so on's lawyers, to stipulate you do not work for the WWF. They had to, this is the first occasion they could stipulate this in front of a camera from the lawsuit. There was also things in those lawsuits about the mannerisms of Scott Hall acting like Razor Ramon and his character from WWF television and basically saying that he was portraying the Razor Ramon character on WCW TV. That gets a little bit more complicated with regards to the lawsuits back and forth and and all the, the solicitors and the lawyers being involved. There's traces of what Scott Hall did as Razor Ramon as way back as the, the diamond stud character he played in WCW in the early nineties with a toothpick and so on. That was initially a diamond stud uh, part of his character there. There's a lot more to that aspect, but yeah, with regards to the whole, do you work for the WWF? And they both say, no, very clearly that was because they'd had these, these you know approaches from the lawyers and the solicitors and the attorneys from Vince McMahon and Titan sports, basically saying you need to stop this. Oh, so man. can you imagine if they didn't get that lawsuit where they would have went with this storyline? Well, yeah, there we go. I mean, I think it ends up being pretty good anyway, to be fair. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just find it interesting about you talk about the mannerisms towards the end of this Scott Hall um, says carve them up and he does the um, sort of like the X t- type thing with his uh, hand and he mm-hmm. does that a lot as Razor Ramon so I'm sure that lit a fire under all those lawyers and things like that as well <laughs> even yeah. if some, it's something as small as that yeah but I mean they were very very keen to sort of stamp down on any little thing they could yeah. I mean, again, when we get, to, you know, sort of maybe two, three weeks time, when we get to our, our NWO 
special RNWO bonus episode. We'll have a little look a little bit more into the into the actual legalities of of what was battled back and forth and so on. But it was it's quite difficult to prove that certain mannerisms are of a certain character when the person on screen is playing that has played that previous character can argue that that was just them being them potentially or they've yeah. used it with a different character in the past with regards to the diamond stud and and even going back as far as big scott hall in in the awa and so on there were certain little mannerisms he would use there because it's the same fucking bloke it's going to happen <laughs> you know <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, that, 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 that blows my mind so about the um diamond studs uh using the mannerisms uh and things like that so i'm really looking forward to hearing about that yeah i mean it's not the, the the rip-off that Scott Hall is doing here of Razor Ramon is very apparent to everyone watching, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. They yeah. know what they, they denied it at the time for legal reasons, but they very much knew what they were doing. Let's be fair about this. And I believe Bischoff's even openly admitted this since he's like, Yeah, we knew what we were doing. Uh sort of insinuating that these guys were WWF wrestlers were actually saying it. Again, why they never used their names up to this stage and they have been referenced as their real names or their characters or even given a character name at all they've just been referred to as as nothing they're nameless which again leads into making people think it's kevin nash and diesel which we, we get a diesel chant at one point when they when they first come out onto the stage so that you know is obviously working but there's a lot more to get into with regards to all of that, which again we'll we'll dive into when we haven't got other matches and aspects to look at, and we'll we'll jump into it very much with our with our NWO bonus episode, or well, the formation of the NWO anyway. Because I imagine, I imagine the NWO itself, we're going to have numerous bonus episodes as we run through the the, the later years of, of of WCW on Nitro Nights, Danny. Yeah, definitely, mate. But just to, just quickly to finish off this about about this segment. Um, I'd never seen that before, where Eric Bischoff asks uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash about if they work to w- if they work for the WWF, and um, that has always been cut from the documentaries and things like that. Certain other parts of this haven't, but that that shocked me. I was like, oh, oh wow, I didn't know they asked them on camera. Yeah, again, it comes down to the, all the lawsuits and so on. So it's it's interesting yeah. that that's been cut from the documentaries. That's very interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Ah, fascinating. Okay. I mean, what has not been cut from any, you know, documentaries or stories that WWF or WWE have put out more recently is, of course, what happens to Mr. Bischoff. Uh, he gets a punch in the gut from Scott Hall when Bischoff won't tell them the three guys there and then. And Kevin Nash powerbombs him off the stage through a quite heavily gimmicked table on the outside. Danny, obviously you've seen this clip in documentaries and, and you know historical moments on the network and so on. Now, having a lot more context to it, how did you feel when you saw this? I loved it. Um, I especially loved the aftermath. Um, I'd never seen Lex Luger that, that he actually stopped his entrance in actually checked on Eric Bischoff um, and the announcers really heavily putting this over and saying Eric Bischoff's really hurt um, and showing genuine concern, especially Dusty Rhodes. Mm. Um, because at one point, Dusty Rhodes just basically cuts a promo on the, on um, the invade, invaders and um, it comes off very, very seriously to the point where I wanted to see Dusty Rhodes um, be one of the three men <laughs> against um, the invading forces. But no, yeah, I'd never seen the aftermath of this, but Bischoff took a hell of a dive, didn't he? <laughs> he did. He did. They they didn't practice this beforehand. 
Ah, this was a one and done deal. Uh, and Bischoff, in his own words, uh, has said that he didn't want to practice this. Um, one reason being that he wanted it to be the first time it happens to be on camera, because if you practice it, maybe you lose something the more times you do it, uh, the impact of it or, or whatever. And secondly, if he in, if he got injured taking the bump, he wouldn't be able to do it on the pay-per-view. So he was like, no, I'm just going to have to do it once and, and that'd be that. So that was how it kind of came about that it wasn't practiced. Uh, wow. Tony Schiavone leaving the commentary desk, I thought was... Uh, brilliant touch and added a real drama yeah. to what was going on because he leaves the commentary desk and runs down to check on Bischoff. And that's when we get Dusty on his own talking to the camera for a moment. And all of what Dusty said is ad libbed. That, that wasn't practiced or anything like that. He, that's just off the top of his head, apparently. That just came to him and he just, you know, he just cuts this promo. And I think it's, I mean, it just, again, it just shows how talented Dusty Rhodes was. Yeah. And, and again, Luger making his entrance for the main event, which, as we mentioned earlier, followed on from this directly checking on Bischoff during his entrance was again a nice touch because I mean effectively Luger having to check on Bischoff meant that Luger couldn't pose as much and if if Luger doesn't pose you know it's serious you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) but yeah I I just found that fascinating it's like okay now is Eric Bischoff gonna I doubt he's gonna commentate tomorrow night on Nitro so I'll be very very interested to see what happens to him it will, it will, which we will find out about next week on Nitro Nights. One more little thing I want to touch upon before we move on, Danny, is yep. that the surrounding area of the, well, that sort of corner of the stage and so on, with the gimmicked tables and, and the black cloths covering the, the area that Bischoff was going to be powerbombed into, apparently there was more than one spot that was gimmicked. There was quite a big area that was gimmicks to make this, the, 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 the stunt, I guess, the spot as safe as possible for Eric Bischoff. When it was used, the rest of it just kind of sat there until the, the show was finished with. Now, the WCW um, production team at this stage had not long started, maybe a year or so beforehand, not long started having a Spanish announce team, similar to how we see all the time in the WWF or WWE, you know, for the Mexican viewers, the Spanish viewers, and, and so on. One of the commentators there is, well, was, sorry, Pedro Morales, who was famous for winning various titles all over the world and a a big, big star. When the pay-per-view went off the air and Pedro Morales is apparently walking back to the backstage area, he's finished his work for the night, he's walking along, he sees the entrance ramp and then this other section, can't tell the difference, he steps on one of the gimmick tables, goes through it and badly injures his ankle, apparently. Oh my god! Now that is interesting. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. <laughs> I'm mean, not laughing at Morales getting no. Morales, sorry getting injured, of course, but it's just a funny scenario, isn't it? Yeah, that that just makes me laugh because it's like I had no idea that happened. Now you're the wrestling encyclopedia, so <laughs> I don't know about that, my friend. I don't know about <laughs> that. Uh, before we get on to a few questions that we have had come in from listeners and then close up our recording for today, uh, we should really rate this show, I suppose. But before we do that, we need to talk about our plus points and our bad points, our woos and our oh brothers. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Danny, first or second? I've got second this week, sir. Okie doke. Uh, my O brother this week is going to be that Sting promo. It was touching on homophobic. It was uncomfortable. It was unnecessary. It was just not a good look at all. Yeah, I can see that, mate. Your O brother, my friend? It, it was going to be that, but I, I just can't put it past um, 
the John Tenter versus Bubba match and yeah. Bubba getting a bit of his beard chopped off. It's not a big thing. We all cut ourselves shaving and had to shave the whole thing off. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah. If if Tenter wanted to do something devastated, I'm shocked he didn't go for his hair. Well, yes, this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, my woo for this week, my positive, my, my highlight, I suppose, is very difficult to do because there's so much great on this show. Uh, we've got so we've got great matches and, and great you know diversity across the board as well. We've got a big man match. We've got a great tag match. We've got a celebrity involvement that actually, in my opinion, went quite well. We've got, we've got all sorts going on. Hall and Nash, their interaction with Bischoff is historic. It's groundbreaking, and it should be my woo for the week. However, I can't get past how bloody brilliant Dean Malenko was. You know, yeah. So I'm going to really struggle to split the two. I think I might have to have two this week, Danny. Yeah, I really don't blame you. This was a fantastic show and there was a lot on it. What's yours then, my friend? What's your woo this week? It would have to be the Mongo heel turn because I had no idea it happened. I sat here just flabbergasted. I was like, what? Mongo turned here? I mean, just, yeah. um, I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, just jaw dropped, and I love when you're just taken by surprise by a heel turn. It's so rare. That's why I'm loving this going back and seeing all these heel turns that we know have happened, but we don't know when. Yeah, I love it, mate. I love it, and that's why I say to people on Twitter and and anyone else listening and so on, don't be giving spoilers out that Danny might see because he <laughs> gets to experience. We we may know what happens, but he gets to experience this first time, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Hit miss or middling bad. Big hit, mate. Big hit this week. I mean, you oh, had mate. a lot on. I mean, we've just gone through it and it's been fantastic. The only thing that I just won't go back and watch is probably the main event because it just it was just kind of there, wasn't it? But yeah, big hit. How about you, mate? Yep, the same. Big, massive hit all round. Great show. Great pay-per-view. Looking forward to Nitro next week. Yeah. Okay, a few questions. I put a tweet out yesterday saying we're covering Great American Bash from the Baltimore Arena uh, today. We're recording it today for release in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Does anyone have any opinions, thoughts, or questions about this show? So I'll just run through them very quickly, Danny, in the order they arrived into us, my friend. I know you haven't seen all of these, so some of them may take you by surprise, but we'll just run through them now. Okay, bud? Cool, mate. Cool. King Pig Splatters at Pig, Pig Splatters on Twitter. He says, The Steiner Brothers and Fire and Ice were both faces on this pay per view. If you could rebook the ending with a heel turn, who would you turn and how? That one I'm going to have to think about, Si. What would you do? <laughs> I, I wouldn't turn either tag team. I'd turn Rick Steiner. So we get babyface Scott Steiner in 96. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> good point. Good point. I guess. I could see Scott Steiner turning on Rick Steiner and then teaming up with Fire and Ice, but having a uh, another um, sort of uh, like a one-word name to join their team because he he had the muscle to join Fire and Ice. He actually looked like one of them. Mm. Uh, if if we had to turn a team, I think Fire and Ice would be the ones that I would turn here. Because yeah. I think Scott Norton is just a more of a natural heel anyway. And the Steiners here are, are super popular. I'm not too sure how I would do it. I would maybe have Fire and Ice frustrated that they've got beaten and then just kick the shit out of the Steiners for five minutes after the match. Yeah, that sounds solid, mate. <laughs> I think that's the most straightforward way of doing it. Uh, and booking the Tankatory at UTT Tank on Twitter. He says, if you could replace one wrestler on the Great American Bash 1996 card with Tank Abbott... Who would it be and why? 
it would have to be Alex Luger because Tank Abbott deserves the main event. <laughs> I wouldn't replace anyone. I would just add Tank Abbott to the main event. So ah, we've got a yeah. triple threat because then that crowd would be lively as hell. <laughs> Very true. It's the right answer. He needs to be in the main event when he's on a card. There we go. Uh, I've got a question here as well that I'm terribly sorry, but where I've cut the image ready to read it out on the podcast, I've cut their uh, Twitter handles. I don't know who it's from, so I apologize. Give me a shout and I'll let you all know on a future show. Uh, It says here, keeping along the same lines of intelligent questions, what the hell was this advertising poster about? And if anyone's not seen this, the Great American Bash poster has Mean Gene Oakland with a plate of meat that's shaped to read WCW and Bobby Heenan effectively torching himself on a barbecue in the background. It's just great 90s cheese, Danny, isn't it? It really is, mate. Yeah, I'm going with... I'm guessing that they wanted um, Bobby Heenan on the poster and they just had to have Mean Gene there because they knew he was going to be there as well. There we go. Uh, Our good friend Dan Griffin, at DanGriffin21 on Twitter. He says, question for you, Danny. As you are watching this all for the very first time, are the Cruiserweights living up to their reputation on Nitro and the pay-per-views so far? Absolutely. I mean, we're getting... um, we're getting a lot of it. We not get. We haven't had so much of it on Nitro recently, but I believe with Rey Mysterio being included, we're going to get a lot more of it now. And um, yeah, from what we have seen, we've definitely enjoyed it, both of us, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Rob at UTT Rob on Twitter, he says, "How does it feel to be four years away from the awesome build-up to the Great American Bash 2000?" That. That one took me um, by surprise because, yes, uh, me and the great Chris Fellis, we're doing uh, a few night trials leading up to Great American Bash. And it's such a change from 96 to 2000 around the same time. It's like, wow. But um, enjoying both of them very, very much. Um, How how does it feel to you? Have you seen much WCW 2000, Si? I've seen pretty much all of it, yes. It's just one of those scenarios of I've seen so much wrestling in my life and certain things I would have seen many years ago, it won't be until literally I press play that I I can recall it. So that would be the thing. But yeah, I mean, four years away from Great American Bash 2000. I'm sure I'll forget about it all by then. Oh, I'll forget about it all tomorrow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Pigs Bladders also says here, in June of 96, Barry Horowitz was still losing many a match in WWF. If you could insert him into this card, who would be his opponent? And what is the feud? Oh, that's a hard one. I would have to say replace um, replace John Tenter and have save some of his dignity (laughs) and have (laughs) um, Barry Horowitz go over on Big Bubba and actually give Barry Horowitz a win for once. Ah, there we go. What would you do? Then I'd I'd do the same. Have Bubba chasing his win back for the next six months. That would work. Rob at UTT Rob also asks if you had to put one of the matches filmed on the same night for the main event TV program in the main event of this pay-per-view, which would it be? What would the storyline have to be to get it to the top of the card? Now, I'm not sure if you've seen this here, Danny, but I'll read it out for the benefit of our listeners. The dark matches on this pay-per-view that were filmed for the weekend show main event were as follows. Rocco Rock defeated Jerry Sags. Oh God, are we still doing that? (laughs) bk wall street uh defeated jim powers and jim duggan defeated the disco inferno 
So for me personally, I'd put Duggan and Disco Inferno in the main event. And I would have that have a hair aspect as well, because how much we've seen Disco Inferno messing about with his hair and he has to lose half of his hair like John Tenter did. <laughs> yes. I'll go for that as well because I do not want to see uh, any of the public enemy or the nasty boys in the main event. Um, and Jim Powers, I don't think he's ready for the main event yet, but somehow Disco Inferno is. So, yeah, yeah I would go with that as well. But And the storyline, why I would choose the storyline would be Disco Inferno trying to recruit Jim Duggan to be some sort of disco dancer. Yeah, or, or the doorman at his club or something. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, that's even better. Yeah, yeah, I'll go for that. In full wrestling gear with a plank of wood as well. Not in a suit or anything like you see doorman, just in full wrestling gear. Um, yes. <laughs> Cam at CamGriff92 asks, if you had to put Jimmy Hart in the corner of any current wrestler, who would it be and how much would you buy the jacket for? I would not buy the jacket because Jimmy Hart is starting to really get on my nerves at the moment <laughs> in 96. And if I had to put him in the corner of any current wrestler, it would be somebody who wrestles on like Saturday night main event or Velocity if that was still a show. So I wouldn't have to bloody watch him. Danny, what about you? I gave this one a long thing this morning and I was just thinking I would have to choose Billy Gunn only because of Billy Gunn's like he wears quite like colorful bright colors can you imagine uh how much jimmy hart would get out of wearing jackets like lime green jackets pink jackets yellow jackets but i would not be able to afford it because i have a feeling those jimmy hart jackets are like five grand or six grand a piece <laughs> oh dear jimmy bloody hart <laughs> and finally we have a message here from graham at mgb graham on twitter he says this event happened just over an hour away from where he lives. So heading into this, what do you guys know about Baltimore? Danny, what do you know about Baltimore? Well, I had to think about this one as well. And I was just thinking in the early days of like something to wrestle and all those podcasts, they would always mention about this thing called Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore. That is the only time I've heard of Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> oh, okay. How about you, mate? Um not masses I, mean, I know they've got an nfl team there the baltimore ravens yeah um i know that the great american bash 1996 was held there um <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a great deal my friend i'll tell you what to do baltimore some justice let's just have a quick look we have here baltimore is a major city in maryland with a long history and it's important as a seaport Fort McHenry is the birthplace of the U.S. national anthem Star Spangled Banner. Ah. There we go. That's interesting. Mm, and that was sang very poorly before the match start, before the show started today. But there we yeah. go. <laughs> Danny, it's been a blast, my friend. Do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online with all your shows and your Twitter? My, my bird. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meet with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking about the post-Great American Bash Nitro with the great Cy Powell. We will indeed. We will indeed. Uh, for anything I'm involved in, simply just follow the network that carries this show at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube with our live show Chain Wrestling and more live programming coming soon there as well at SJP World Media on YouTube and Twitch. 
and you're subscribed and following all that good stuff on your podcast players whether that's spotify apple music stitcher all these great things chuck us a follow on a good review on there as well but most importantly you can follow this show itself and give us your thoughts on what we're watching what you're enjoying what you're not enjoying all feedback is is you're gratefully received let us know what you think about our show and let us know what you're thinking about wcw in 1996 and beyond and you can do that by finding us on facebook and twitter at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights danny it's been a blast only a few more weeks away another pay-per-view can't wait mate awesome stuff i'll speak to you then and to everyone else as always Thank you for listening.